Welcome to the Travel Tales Podcast. The winners are the, the people with the most stories. One of the great things about traveling is the people that you meet. I've slept in bus stations, like yeah. I've slept on people's floors. And it's already on fire, and then there's just a gigantic, huge explosion, like out of a Hollywood movie. It's not right or wrong, it's just different. We hired like 10 Chinese prostitutes to come be our audience. We were kidnapped by nuns in Puerto Rico. <laughs> not a good idea to be high when you're packing. You forget a lot of stuff. I got swine flu. By the time you've lived through it, it's just a good story. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Travel Tales Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Siegel. Thanks for listening. My guest today is Cashley Kucherin. Before we get to Cashley, I have a few announcements. First, foremost, our website is TravelTalesPodcast.com. Go there. It's the articles that I've written, articles that some of the guests have written. You can see photos of our guests. You can see links to their social media, and you can see links to our social media. And by that, I mean, of course, Travel Tales Podcast on Instagram, Travel Tales Pod on Twitter. There's links to our Facebook page, which is Travel Tales Podcast. And there's links to Stitcher Radio and iTunes. I'm sorry, Apple Podcasts. I'm going to get that right one of these days. If you subscribe on those and that's where you hear us, please give us a good rating. That helps more people find us. That boosts our presence. That's a nice thing to do. So do that and I'd appreciate it. If you want to write me, you can write me at TravelTalesPodcast at gmail.com. Once again, that's TravelTalesPodcast at gmail.com. Speaking of writing me, Cashley is someone who wrote me. She contacted me and thought that she would be a good fit for the show, and I agreed. There's a lot about Cashley's story that I like, love of travel, of course, being one of them, but also embracing a minimalist lifestyle, which I've adopted in the last few years. And just like for Cashley, getting out of debt helped me see more of the world. It freed me up to a lot of the things that were tying me down, and quite honestly, not bringing me any joy but bringing me lots of stress. So Cashley and her husband, for lack of a better term, cashed out, sold their house and most of their possessions, and traveled around the world. And they started their own blog called TravelOffPath.com. Cashley wrote a book called The High Maintenance Minimalist, and she's succeeding in the tough world of travel blogging, which, as many of us know, is a tough way to make a living. But she and her husband are making it happen. So I was inspired by their story, and I hope you will be too. So please enjoy this conversation I had with Cashley Kucherin. Driving free, the world's my home. When I'm mobile, beep, beep. okay, explain Cashley. What is uh, where's that from? Uh, hippie parents. Yeah, okay. <laughs> I was gonna say that, but is it does it mean anything in some language or is it? No, it's it's really just like Ashley with a K. Um, you know, maybe a slight reference to Johnny Cash made uh-huh. it a little more feminine. Yeah. There might have been some weed involved in this decision. Yeah, I still think there is some yeah. weed involved in their decision making. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, so you grew up in uh, BC. I didn't. I was. Uh, I grew up in Ontario and uh, just right right outside of Toronto. And um, I moved out here in 2013. Explain uh, your story. And first of all, tell the people your uh, your name of your blog. So my blog is TravelOffPath.com. And that's kind of where I live and hang out online. I try to blog there two to three times a week. And uh, who I am, I'm an ex-realtor, left that corporate kind of hustle in order to have a life of experiences over things and travel. And the travel blogging career was kind of born out of just documenting my journey and then realizing that, hey, I can actually make a career out of this. Okay, well, explain that because a lot of people talk a big game about doing that and uh, they never do it or yeah. they they fall under the, the trap of that they think they can make money off this, but 
making money off a travel blog is not easy. So first off, I think it's blind faith. (laughs) I think if you're going to jump into anything that's entrepreneurial, especially travel blogging, you have to have that blind faith that it is going to work out if you just stick to it. And I do believe that anyone can be successful as long as they have that consistency. Like you have to have this drive. It's not, oh, I'm going to wake up at noon and hang out by the pool and go down to the beach. That's not what a travel blogger is. It's I'm going to wake up at 6 a.m. to get content and I'm going to blog about it until 2 a.m that night. Um, if you're willing to sort of, you know, hustle the entire time you're traveling, <laughs> then travel blogging is right for you. But uh, <laughs> for me, it, it became, like, like you said, a lot of people, they don't know how to make it work. They don't know how to make it profitable. Like, how do you pay your bills while being a travel blogger? And the easiest answer I can give is, if, as long as you get traffic up to a certain amount, you can get ads on your site. And if you have ads, um, you can really make an income. So it's, and people are like, okay, great. Then how do I get the traffic? How do I get people to read it? That's and that's, yeah, that's just consistency. That's writing a ton of relevant, um, interesting and helpful travel articles all the time, every day for a couple of years. There's no secret to it. It's just it's just consistency. Do you remember your first uh, advertiser? Who who came forward first? Yeah, it was. I'm actually with a with a. It's like a brokerage, so they they do all the ads for me. Oh, nice. Yeah. So I just I had to qualify. You have to have a certain amount of visitors. You're able to qualify for this ad service at around 25,000 visits per month. And then they do all the the brokering for you. They find the advertisers and then they they put the placements on. And some people say, you know, ads are ugly or like, why would you want to muck up your site like that? And I say, it's the greatest thing I can do for my readers because then it allows me to be unbiased in my, in my articles. If all my articles are sponsored by a certain hotel or a certain travel agency, even if I'm trying to be really unbiased, I'm sure that a slight bias comes out of that. So I like that I have ads on the site and that way I can write about what I want, when I want, how I want. What about press trips and sponsored trips? Do you do those? I do. Yeah. I, I try to mix it up, right? So like some of them I'll sponsor myself and pay for myself and then other ones, yeah, I'll go on press trips and sponsor travel, but it's full disclosure. And the people I work with, they know I'm going to write honestly. So I've had some press trips and sponsored travel where in the article, I have very clearly what I didn't like <laughs> or what what I thought was bad about the, they're not bad, but what I thought was not as great about the country or, or the cruise or the hotel or whatever it was. Was there ever a time where they read your article and said, hey, that was a little unfair or give us another chance? No, I think people, I think that they like it. Actually, I worked with this one big brand and there was some things I did say, like I really loved the experience I had with them. 80% of it was positive, but I did tell the 20% that wasn't. And their feedback to me was like, thank you for saying that. It was really honest. And I feel like your readers will really have a great idea of, of what to expect. And you show us where we can actually improve. They, they took it as constructive criticism, which made me like the brand even more. Okay, well, we haven't told people what your... Uh your blog basically is about you sold everything and you and is your husband now? Yep. Yep. Uh, you are living in a, in an RV. Yes. Okay. So tell me, give me the aha moment of when you said, that's it. I'm leaving this business. I am selling it all and moving to an RV. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Walk us through that. So I was dreaming about it at my desk and that is where it started. I was in real estate and 
I was killing it. I got to be honest. I was doing a really great job and I was making good money. I had lots of clients, but the thing that was happening was I didn't have a spare moment in my life to truly enjoy all the fruits of my labor. Okay. So I had money and, and, and all of this, but I didn't have any time to do what I really love to do. And that's travel or at least have really cool, unique experiences. And so I really had to sit myself down and and think about like, what's your life going to look like if you continue down this corporate road? I was starting to drink more and becoming like just kind of complacent and I just wasn't enjoying myself or my time. And so I had to ask myself, what is it you really want to do? And all the answers always came back to travel. I really want to travel. I want to see this world and I want to do it now. And I knew I couldn't have both. I could not have that corporate job. And see the world. I just couldn't do both. So I chose <laughs> the life of travel. So I, I, I cut off my, my career. I stopped at that moment and started transitioning into a life of travel, but that doesn't come without sacrifice. Hence living in an RV. One of the, one of the greatest ways to be able to afford to see the world, not only with time, but also with monetary money is to Make your bills as small as possible and to make yourself as nomadic as possible. And the best way to do that is to go from a house and all these bills and all these things that really anchor you down into being in an RV where bills are almost non-existent and I have the time and space and money to be able to travel. Well, I love the minimalist aspect because I've embraced a lot of that over the years as well. I mean, I learned that a lot of what you're saying. I've, you know, I learned a long time ago. I'm older than you, but, uh, <laughs> but uh, you know, I sold. I had a building that I sold. I had a duplex that I was a landlord, and I lived in one half of it. But it w- it was the biggest. It was the only debt I had in my life, and it was the biggest amount of stress in my life. It's it's not only about stuff, it's about what kind of joy you get out of them. You know, is, exactly. it, feeding, is it feeding you or is it weighing you down? It's exactly. It's is it bringing you joy or not? And some people they want the house and they want the corporate job and that does make them happy yeah. and that's and they great. Love it, you know? Yeah. They love it. And for me it wasn't. And so like I started crunching the numbers too and I'm like, "Okay, wait a second. I'm out of the country for at least six months of the year. Um, this is when I had quit my job, but I still had like a, like a home with a mortgage on it. And I was, uh, I was going, okay, I'm paying all this money I'm paying property tax and all this stuff. I couldn't rent it out because there was a restriction on the building. Oh, and yeah. I was like, okay, I'm throwing money. Like I am flushing it down the toilet and it's not something I want. It's not even really an area I want to live in. I don't see a future in it. Like I need to just cut completely all ties and get the bills down. But that's what I did. I went through every drawer, every closet, every single space in that place. And I sold literally 90% of my stuff. And I started to get addicted to it. It was so amazing. It opened up such a new world for me. And now I've never looked back. I sold everything about three years ago. um, And now I'm just obsessed with it. Even now, I have barely anything compared to what I used to in my previous life, but I still find opportunities to cut it down even more. And if I start accumulating a few things, I, I love getting rid of it. It's it's like the best part of everything. <laughs> Was there one thing that you just hung on to out of whatever reason that doesn't make sense, but you couldn't part with it? I would probably say some of my clothes, <laughs> but I have been so good at getting rid of clothes and shoes. Okay, I have to be honest. I'm not I'm not proud of this. Um, but when I was in real estate and, you know, I was younger and I was making lots of money. So I spent it all and I bought tons of shoes and handbags and clothes. Like I, I think wow. I had about 90 plus pairs of shoes, yeah. which is embarrassing. You're a woman. And 
Yeah. When I became a minimalist, I went down to about nine pairs of shoes. Okay. Ooh. Which is already like, wow. So when you say, what do I kind of, what's the, the thing that I kind of can't let go of? I hoard a little bit. Um, it might be those shoes. I think now I have about <laughs> five pairs, but still it's, it's, I've cut down a ton, but that's probably still my area of weakness. I know I could do a little bit better. So what did your family and coworkers say when you told them of your plans? Were they on board or were they thinking you're crazy? My family was like, yeah, get it, girl. They, <laughs> right. um, my parents are serial entrepreneurs. They are just, they're all about just living out your dreams, even if they seem wacky. So they were totally behind me 100%. My coworkers, on the other hand, a lot of these people were, they had been in the real estate business for years, some of them for decades. And they looked at me like, what are you doing? You have this opportunity in front of you. You're doing well in this industry. You can really set a, a future and a name for yourself. You're crazy. Why would you let go of this? Um, so, but they don't, they don't see that. They value different things. But that's also something you can pick up down the road if you need be, right? I mean, you can yeah. always go back and, and go back into it, right? I mean, you have to start over again and maybe you lose some contacts, but it's obvious that you, you know how to do it if need be. Exactly. It gave me a set of skills that I could always go back to if I needed to. But, you know, I, I hope that day never happens because I really I, I love being out on the open road. But if that ever changed, yeah, sure. Was there, uh, at least being in real estate, an idea of maybe getting a property that somebody else could manage and it might throw off enough money and rent to carry you around the world? That is such a good idea, and so many people do it that way. But for me personally, and this might make me sound more insane than I am, but <laughs> just the thought of something anchoring me would give me anxiety. I, I didn't want to deal with it. I didn't want to deal with, oh, now it needs a new roof. Oh, guess what? The basement needs to be braced. Oh, it yeah. flooded. There was a fire. Zoning's changed. I, I didn't want to deal with it because it's always in the back of your mind, and it's always weighing you down. And for me, also, being in the industry, I would help people buy homes. And I would say to them, this is the best investment of your life, knowing that that probably wasn't true because these people might buy this house, put a 25-year mortgage on it, but in 10 years, they end up upgrading their house and put a brand new 25-year mortgage on it. And then 10 years down the road, oh, the kids moved out, we're going to move again, and they put another 25-year mortgage on it. These people are never going to pay off their mortgage. They're paying for these properties two or three times over. I don't believe that having a mortgage is necessarily what everyone should do. I don't think it's the most responsible move for everyone nowadays, the way we turn over our homes so frequently. And I saw that in myself. I said, I don't want to put a mortgage on a property because then I'm going to be enticed to get another one and another one. And yeah. then how much interest am I paying to the bank? How much is this going to anchor me down? I just wanted to like get out of the industry. So your husband, was he with you from the start or did you guys meet along the way? He, he must have been on board. Yeah. So I had already quit real estate and I was actually practicing real estate uh, in the middle of the country. It's in a city called Regina. Oh, Saskatchewan. Yes. So that's where I was living and doing real estate. And when I quit my job, I took a year off, like a buffer year to say, okay, is this what you want to do? Do you really want to travel all this? And it was during that buffer year, I moved out to Kelowna, BC. And that's where I met my husband. He had also just moved there. And uh, we met each other. He had never traveled in his life. And so here I am, he meets me, he's like, what's your thing? I'm like, I'm going to see the world. Like, I'm going to travel everywhere. 
And he's probably thinking to himself, oh my God, I haven't gone anywhere. This girl is going to take me for a ride, right? <laughs> like, yeah. what, what is happening? Um, but I gave him the travel bug really early on in our relationship and he's never looked back since. Right. Now he's just as addicted to me. Yeah. And so we're totally on board with living as minimally as we can so that we can travel as much as possible. Well, I've also said that travel is the best test of any relationship. And did it come down to, uh, you know, you being more experienced traveler than he is? Did you have some clashes along the way? Are there things that he likes to do? Like one person could be more into roughing it and camping and the other person like, ah, I like a nice bed. Or one person likes to shop and the other person likes to do other things. Did you find out, you know, what makes you tick on the road? Yeah, such a good question. So definitely I am more of a, um, I, I guess I like to see more places at once, right? And he's very much a slow traveler. So we had to make some sacrifices where I would be like, yeah, we could fly here and then we could fly there and then we could go here, you know, all in a few weeks kind of itinerary. And he's like, how about we just go one place and stay for a few months? Um, So he definitely introduced me to the slower version of travel, which we tend to do more often. And But the good thing is, is that we travel the same way in terms of what we expect from accommodation. One of my greatest findings was was realizing that my you know, husband to be at the time was as much of a diva as me. <laughs> he he appreciates a high thread count and he appreciates good service and and nice resorts, which we can't always stay in. Let's be honest, but when we do, we both have the an equal appreciation of them. So um, I loved learning that he was a little bit more of a high maintenance guy. That really jived with me. Are either of you foodies or do you uh, avoid that? No, we eat everything that we see, like okay. everything. Yeah, we just, <laughs> there's nothing left. Uh, we're the best dinner guests of all time because we will eat everything and we will just like like moan the entire time. Um, we're just obsessed with eating, so. Okay, so let's talk about accommodations and things. When you guys do travel, is it mostly uh, hotels or do you try to do an Airbnb thing or, and is that part of your blog as well? Do you review those things? We do. Yeah. You know, the blog actually started out as hotel reviews because that's what I liked to do. I like to go to hotels and, and make reviews, but then I realized people don't actually like reading them as much. Um, <laughs> so I did make- is? They figure they'll never stay in them. So why should I bother or? Yeah, or I think it's very specific. Like if, if you wanted to know, say you're going to stay at the Cosmopolitan in Las right. Vegas and you really wanted to know which room has the fountain view, I think it's really relevant. But if you're just some Joe sitting at home, why do you care about what's at the Cosmopolitan Las Vegas? Yeah, I had true. to actually pivot and start writing more about travel tips and guides and, and destinations. But I still do throw in that occasional hotel review because I personally, like I just like to. Mm-hmm. But um as in for hotels to Airbnb, we actually prefer hotels because here's the thing, Airbnb, yes, you can get some really cool places. You might even get that diamond in the rough where it's in the middle of town in a great location. So you can kind of live like a local, but you never truly know what to expect. Um, you know, we've always had like problems with internet or construction noise, or there's just kind of weird things that you can't really get help with if the, if the owner's not a hands-on kind of owner. So, with a hotel, you know what you're getting and, and you know that there's service there. You know, there's maintenance there 24 hours a day. Um, you just know to, what you know what to expect. Like, for example, we rented this one place in Edinburgh in Scotland. We, we took an Airbnb. We're like, let's stay for three weeks. And in the middle of our stay, it was like super cold weather, like record cold weather when we were there. The heat shuts off and we couldn't figure out what was going on. And then we 
finally got a hold of the owner, probably eight hours later, we're absolutely freezing. And he's like, oh, I guess the card ran out of money. Whoops. You'll have to walk down to the local Asda and recharge the heat card. We were like, <laughs> yeah, we're like, what? The heat so it's, card? Yeah, there's a card that they put in their furnace. It's like a it look. It looks like a credit card, and you have to top it up like a like a pays go cell phone, like an oyster card or something. Yes, exactly. And so, and we had to like walk down to this ASDA after we'd already been sitting in a freezing cold place all day. And it's, it's those things where we're like, ah, do we want the Airbnb? Because it reminds us of having like maintenance problems in our own home. Huh. So we really do like the art of service and the kind of level of experience a hotel can give. Well, like the RV uh, obviously helps you in North America, but what do you do with it when you're overseas? You know what? The RV actually just sits in one place. We don't even bring it with us when we travel in North America. It's stationary. We have plumbed this thing in. (laughs) It's not going anywhere. Yeah. So is it like in the middle of a town or in Kelowna or is it uh, you can move it or is it more like a... Trying to think. I guess it's like a mobile home. Yeah. So what we did is like, I mean, it's it's still small. It's still an RV. We could hook it up to the truck and drive away if we wanted to. Right. So it's not like a huge um, like mobile home that you'd think of when you think of like a trailer park or anything. Right. It's it is like a proper Jayco RV. But what we did is when we were kind of when I was transitioning and getting rid of the house and all that stuff, um, we bought a piece of land, small piece of land out in the country in Kelowna. And it's kind of in the middle of nowhere. It's surrounded by trees and mountains and a lake, and it's very remote. <laughs> and so we just slap this thing down. We pull our water from the lake. It's uh, we're we were plumbed into like a septic tank, septic field, yeah. and um, we just we keep it here because when we're traveling all the time, it's so much stimulation. There's so much going on that this is kind of our secret little magical hideaway where we can just come, and it feels like travel still because it kind of feels like camping. But uh, there's no one around. It's very chill. It's very relaxed. And we kind of need that balance. So do you use Vancouver as an airport base when you fly? Yeah, Kelowna Airport sucks. Yeah. <laughs> like, I got to say that. You know, they used to have direct flights to San Francisco a few times a week in L.A. And that was great. That's when I first moved here. And then they got rid of them. And now we can fly direct to like three places. It's embarrassing. So yeah, Vancouver is the the next biggest airport. And we frequently use that. But it's still, it's like a four-hour drive to Vancouver. When you go to a new place and say, you okay, we're going to write about, pick a country, uh, Vietnam. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, do you go there and say, okay, I want to hit these places and take an angle on uh, writing about these particular things? Or do you just kind of just show up and let it flow where it goes? Show up and let it flow. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So you don't have like a set schedule or a plan? No, because the plans never work. (laughs) We've tried that. We tried having plans where we're like, okay, we're going to see this attraction in this and these towns and we're going to take the train here and there. And, And for some reason, things just happen and it doesn't work out. So we've let it unfold in front of us, I think is the best way because our plans do always change. But we try to, I find that the most helpful things are the most mundane things. Like we did just spend how many months? Uh, Six, seven months in Vietnam. And we wrote lots of blogs and some were city guides, like the best things to do in Hoi An. But the ones that really people read the most are how to take a grab in Hoi An or where to get a SIM card in Hoi An. Like they're looking for really technical details that are very hard to find out unless you were on the ground, unless you were kind of living there or slow traveling there. So I find that 
when we write about slow traveling in a country or just kind of the more everyday life stuff, those are actually our most read blogs for some reason. Well, give me one of your favorite Vietnam stories. And uh, anything uh, bad happened there? (laughs) Oh, dear. So many people love Vietnam and they're not going to like what I have to say. But You didn't like it? Okay. I did until I didn't. Okay. We were living, we decided to stay in Hoi An for around seven months, six months. And so Hoi An's beautiful, right? It's it's amazing. It's an ancient town. It's absolutely lovely. It's always on the top charts of where to go. So we knew we had to get there. We were so excited to go. And yeah, it was beautiful at first until it wasn't. And what I mean by that was... Okay, so my husband, what he... What, you said Hoi An and not Hanoi? Yeah, Hoi An. Okay, yeah. So Hoi An's a small, smaller city, you know, it's, I mean, it's romantic, it is. for sure. It's, it's right on the very, uh, river. Exactly, and everyone knows, like, the lanterns and the, yeah, and the yeah. yellow homes. Yeah, it's beautiful, right? So sorry, go So on, we man. thought, so yeah, we thought, let's, let's hunker down here for a little while. But we didn't really appreciate that maybe we weren't as set up for Hoi An as we thought we were. So we got there, and it was rainy season. Oh. And you get floods. And so we'd heard about them, but we're like, yeah, yeah, we're good. Until my husband had a mosquito bite on his leg. He didn't realize he had scratched it open. And he, we had, we got caught in a flash flood. We were walking. So the streets are flooding. It's all over our legs, you know, whatever. Um, but anyway, there was some fecal matter because <laughs> the sewer's oh. back. He got this terrible infection in his legs, awful infection. Um, so he was like, okay, the, I, I hate this. It was like all over his legs, a b- bad rash. And, um, it took a, like a while to clear up. So that was just sort of like the start of it. Right. And then we ended up living in a house. We rented a home. We wanted to live like locals. So we got this house on this quiet street. No other, um, foreigners lived in the area that we were living in. And so again, it was really cool until, the heat came. (laughs) People are like, yeah, you should have known this. You're going to Vietnam. I get it. But the house didn't have air conditioning. We thought we'd be great at this. We're like, yeah, we've spent lots of time in Asia. We're good. Uh, No, the house would reach 45 to 50 degrees every day. Um, It it became unbearable. Celsius, folks. Oh, yeah. Sorry. Like 100, 100, 110. And very Uh, humid. As well. So humid. So humid, in fact, that it was a brand new house, but uh, we got this black mold infestation. And so we had black mold throughout the entire house that was giving us major respiratory problems. We started to break out in like rashes everywhere. Um, It was insane. And, you know, we're telling our landlords and they're like, oh, no, it's okay. You know, the black mold's safe. It's fine. We're like, no, it's actually not. (laughs) In North America, they would like condemn this place for all the black mold. Like, it's not okay. They're like, oh, safe for humans. You're fine. And it kind of went on and on and on. You know, then there was dogs and then there was roosters and then there was more health problems. And then we just slowly realized that like, wow, we are so not prepared for living like a local in Hoi An. We grossly underestimated our abilities. (laughs) I think it's great to visit. People are like, oh, should I go to Hoi An? My answer is yes, you should absolutely go. Do I suggest (laughs) that you stay there for six months? I don't know. It got hard. Could I mean, at some point, did you think, well, maybe we could go to, um, you know, uh, Ho Chi Minh City or Hanoi and like a bigger city with more modern amenities? We did, but we're also like, we kind of made this commitment. We really wanted to to stay there for a little while. Um, I don't know why we didn't leave, to be honest. But yeah, it just, it got so difficult. Everything got difficult. We started dealing with um, big sanitary issues in the restaurants there, like Uh, major issues with that, water issues, food issues, 
heat issues, even going to the like little corner store to get some bottled water, uh, nothing has prices on it. So you have to haggle every time. And again, that's part of their culture and that's cool. Like that's great. But after six months, when you're so frustrated, you just want to buy a bottle of water and you don't want to haggle for five minutes over it. um, We became completely jaded. And yeah, like (laughs) we were, when we got, we were like, Oh, thank God. Like (laughs) we, um, it was, it, we, we, we underestimated it. We, got, we realized we're not maybe as good travelers as we thought we were. So you got food poisoning? Yeah, we got everything. Oh, man. <laughs> Think you can get there? Yeah, we got that. Oh, that's rough. But the food's good, usually. Yeah, it's good. And so you'd peek in the kitchen and we're like, whoa. Yeah, you'd never want to do that. That's, <laughs> yeah. yeah, but you know, again, it's great. And I don't want anyone to think that I'm totally just like, Dissing Vietnam. Vietnam is is wonderful. We just, we kind of had this string of bad luck there where it was health issue after health issue after just the issue started to pile up and combine. Um, And then, yeah, it just became overwhelming. But it was crazy because when we left Vietnam, we actually hopped onto a cruise and we took the cruise from Japan back to Canada. So we were on a two week cruise. And let me tell you, living in Vietnam for a long time and then going on to a cruise we we were like kids in a candy oh, store. Like we had never seen food or technology. Oh my God. We would just, okay. like my husband, he laid on the bed and he's like, oh, can you feel this bed? It's amazing. Like he wouldn't even get off of it because in Vietnam, their beds are very, very, very hard. Yeah. If you have a mattress at all, it's extremely firm. And so the little things that we would appreciate, like the tiniest things, like even going to a convenience store and getting just a, a brand that we recognized or whatever, like a pack of gum that we wanted. We were like, wow, this is unbelievable. Like the cruise was pretty much the, the top of our life. <laughs> what cruise line was it? Because I work a lot of cruise ships. Celebrity. Oh, Celebrity. Okay. Yeah. So the Millennium, it had just been renovated. We took the Millennium over to Asia. So oh, in uh, September 2018, we took it over to Asia and it was two weeks. And then while we were in Asia, the ship was also in Asia. It was in Singapore doing a dry dock renovation. And then when we were done in Vietnam, it just turned out that it was coming back home to to do its Alaska um, summer cruises. So we hopped on this brand new renovated millennium. So it was even better. We were just like, whoa, what is this thing? This is amazing. (laughs) (laughs) Give me a good story then. I mean, I know Vietnam was rough, but give me like one of your favorite, most memorable ones. Okay, that would have been in Java. So we went to the island of Java in Indonesia. A lot of people, when they visit Indonesia, they're just in Bali, right? And we've done that too. We've, we spent four months in Bali and, and then we were like, we want something a little bit deeper. We want something more. And we had a friend take us to Java. And I have to tell you, it was really the most eye-opening and best experience of my travel life. And it was because the people there, especially where we went in Java, they don't see a lot of tourists. So they're not set up for it. So they don't feel complacent towards tourists at this point. And people were just genuinely interested in why we were in their country and, and why we were in their city and what brought us there. They couldn't even necessarily communicate with us in English. They were using our friend to translate, but they were just genuinely curious, like, wow, hi, like, how are you? Why are you here? What are you doing here? Do you like my city? Do you like my country? And it was so refreshing to see that after we had traveled to so many places where you're just greeted in order to buy something. And and, and you have people like selling like tourists kind of trinkets to you, like very set up for tourism. And like, I mean, I would do the same thing, right? If tourists were coming through my city all the time, yeah, I'd set up a way to make money from them. Right. But it was so different to to be in these cities where 
people had nothing to sell to us, but they wanted to come up and take a picture with us, or they wanted to just shake our hand or just say hello. It was amazing. I Now I like crave more of those unique experiences because it was just so cool to have people invite us into their homes or want to just share their food with us. Like that is the coolest part of travel. I was going to ask you that if you were getting the uh, awkward uh, white people stare. Yes. <laughs> yes. It's so funny. And like, <laughs> there was the one point where we were kind of like walking through this area and a couple of people stopped me to take a picture and they were asking like Trevor, if he would take a picture and they were asking for selfies. And then it actually, this like lineup developed. There was like a small line <laughs> and we were like, yeah, this that is that happened to me crazy. in Hanoi. That happened to yeah. me in Hanoi. They just came up to me in a park and all of a sudden they, you know, there was people coming out of the woodwork trying to get a photo with me. It was weird. You know, it is weird, right? But it's also like, it's it's a cool experience. Yeah. And it's just, it's not not because it's it feeds my ego or anything like that. It's just a cool experience because where else do people even give, you know, two shits about you? Like yeah. <laughs> when you're walking down the street, when I'm walking down the street in Vancouver, does anyone even care? Like, no. Yeah. So it's just neat just to even just interact on a different level in a unique way with people. And I mean, they were excited. I was excited. It's It's, it's, a, it's a really cool thing. Believe me, I've been in Hollywood for 20 years. No one asked for my photo. Right? <laughs> uh, so where's the where's the next trip so you're, you're headed? Yeah, so I'm just taking like a little solo trip to Eastern Canada in a few days here and then stopping by New York City. And then what we're going to do is this year we are going to stay in North America. So we're just going down to Mexico for six months. And I guess I didn't mean to say just. We're going down to Mexico for six months. I love it. I love Mexico. I want to explore it more. I, I lived there when I was younger for a few years, and I was down in the southern states. I was in Oaxaca and Chiapas, and I fell in love with it so much that I just it cannot get this country out of my heart. It's just in everything that I do. And so now we're going to go and we're going to stay in the state of Sinaloa is where we're going to base ourselves out of. But hopefully we will get to travel around uh, to more of the interior of Mexico. How's your language skills? <laughs> My Spanish is okay. So it was better when I used to live there. I was at a pretty good fluency level. And then living in Canada, I mean, no one here speaks Spanish. We don't have that. No. You guys have so many Spanish speaking people in the States and oh, I'm almost yeah. jealous of it. Like I was in LA a few weeks ago and everywhere I heard Spanish and it just like lights me up. So I'm smiling and this big goofy smile at people, these strangers in LA and they're like looking at me like, why are you looking at me? Um, but I'm just so excited that they're speaking Spanish. So I'm just smiling at them like a creep. But uh, <laughs> I think it's okay. But when we go down, I'm actually going to get like a tutor just to bring me back up to the level of fluency I want to be at. So just get like an advanced uh, tutor a couple times a week, just so that I can communicate the way that I want to. Right. Do you ever do the thing of um, taking a job locally to also offset things? Or is it all about the blog and yeah, I can't I can't diversify my time away. I'm obsessed with the blog. I love writing and I love sharing the journey. And so I feel like if I took even a little bit of time and sort of got that local job, it would just yeah, it would take me away from my the bigger vision, I guess. So I, I don't want to do that. <laughs> does your husband work equally on the blog or does he do other things that he's got his own thing? Yeah, he does. So we kind of do different things with the blog. I like to write long form content. Some of my blogs are upwards of 10,000 words or more if they're a detailed city guide. And he writes travel news. So when there's breaking travel news or 
something about an airline or a hotel or even just uh, people's stories that are kind of like that newsworthy, then he he's our in-house news writer. And I'm more of the long form, take you on the journey with us kind of writer. Do you have plans to do Africa or anything like that? Have you been over there? You know, that's where we have not been. And my husband, he's dying to go. Like he wants to spend so much time over there. And again, we haven't learned our lesson from Hoi An. We're like, wait, maybe <laughs> yeah. we could go over there for six months and we'll live like a local. Um, <laughs> yeah. We're still dreaming about that. Obviously, we have not been hit hard enough with the realization of travel. But I think that's something that we will do. I think we'd love to go through and uh, maybe not spend six months in each place. But we we don't want to go into a city or a country for a few days. We really want to try to learn a little bit about the culture and just about day-to-day life while we're there. So we would love to slow travel through Africa. I think that would be in our two-year plan. I think after Mexico... This winter, we're going to go over to Europe and do kind of the Balkan states. We want to go through, find some gems in there, find some under underrated and, and not as touristy places throughout all the Balkan countries. Uh, and then after that, I think we'd like to do Africa. Oh, that'd be great. Now, are you into the travel hacking? Or do you do the miles and the points and all that other thing? We try to, but like anything, I think... I try to apply a level of minimalism to everything I do. So when I think about just signing up for all these cards and then using them for the three months and then ditching them and then, you know, putting the balances here and there and and doing all the things that you can do for the point hacking, it's, it it does overwhelm me, but (laughs) I put everything on my credit card. Like even if I am buying a stick of gum, it goes on my credit card so I can get points for it. So yes, I do try to maximize the amount of points I'm getting, but I'm not, as into doing the crazy point hacking. Like I wish I was because sometimes people are like, oh, here I am in my Emirates first class suite because of my point hacking. Um, That looks great. (laughs) (laughs) Give me some of that. But yeah. (laughs) Do you have a base other than your house that uh, people really need to send stuff to you or a package or anything and and somebody's there to receive it? Can you send stuff to your your parents' place or something? It's such a good question. Yeah. Like, so the RV gets no mail. There's, there's not even technically like a street number. It's really out in the middle of nowhere. Like you have to be okay with, if I had to call an ambulance, I don't really know where I tell them to go. Um, so (laughs) there's, it's, it's hidden. So for mail, what we do is we just have a UPS box and the mail gets all get sent there and they hold it for us. So even if we're gone for a year, they'll just let it all pile up. They don't charge us anymore or anything like that. And if something super important came there, they'll forward it to us wherever we are in the world. It's just that they do have to send it first class airmail. So if it was a letter, it would be like $75 (laughs) to get it to us. It's not cheap, but it's there in case of an emergency. My parents like me are pretty nomadic. They're pretty, uh, you never know where they might the wind might blow them, so they're not good people to send mail to. <laughs> right. They're off at Woodstock or they're at an ashram. I, I, <laughs> yeah. got, I know, I know these people. Totally. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Did, uh, okay, I'm going to play your parents here or the old, the old person here because you guys are in your 30s. I'm yes. guessing, right? Yeah, Trevor's and, just about turned 40. I'm, okay. I'm 34 and he's 39. So, what I'm sure a lot of people ask, uh, say, yes, this is all great and wonderful. Uh, if, you don't have children. Yes. So, oh, at that um, all the time. Exactly. So is that cross your mind though and going, we can't do this if we decide to have it or it's just like, it's not our thing or. Yeah. I love that. Okay. So I needed, to, I had to address this question for, I mean, forever, ever since I quit real estate 
People have been asking me that, right? Like, what are you going to do with kids? Like, how can you have kids in an RV or how can you travel with kids and all this? And I wrote a book called The High Maintenance Minimalist, and it was all about my journey into minimalism and practical tips that other people can take if they also want to apply a level of minimalism to their life. And because there was a big chapter about travel and how minimalism allows me to travel more, um, I wanted to actually interview women and families that have kids that are full-time travelers or fully nomadic because I don't have kids, but I wanted to show that that doesn't matter. It only matters if you let it matter. And while people might say it's easy for you to say because you don't have kids, um, that's why I interviewed people that do. So I featured people in my book that have two, three, four, five kids, and they travel the world full time. They homeschool, world school, all that kind of stuff. I have people like in my circles that have kids that live in RVs, uh, maybe live on a boat, whatever they do, it's possible. So I think number one, if you want it to work, you'll make it work. But number two, for me personally, you know, my husband and I, we just, we don't have that urge. We don't want kids. And like <laughs> some women grow up and they think about it all the time and they know what name they want and they know what the baby's room's going to look like. And that is great for them because it sounds like they're super passionate about that. For me, I, it's never crossed my mind. I've yeah, never, either, been, you know, like I've never held a baby. Like I, I don't know. I don't even know what to do. If someone's like, here's my baby. I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> I, uh, right. Okay. It's okay. You know, it's not for everyone. Yeah, totally. And we both feel that way. And and we would have no, I don't think we'll have any regrets about not doing it because so my family, they adopted. Um, one of my siblings is adopted and they adopted him when he was about 13 and a half. So later in life. And I saw how dramatically it changed his life. Like he went from being homeless, addicted, completely miserable, having huge um, emotional problems with like insecurities and abandonment issues into now he runs a, a very um, popular dealership. He's a general manager of a dealership. You know, he he's fulfilling his dreams. He's responsible. He's um, he's happy. He's lit up. Like I've seen the transformation that that can take on a person and and what it can do. So I think if anything later in life we would probably adopt a preteen or a teenager who is just like my brother who who needs that help that everyone else has forgotten about because they're not that cute little baby anymore. Okay, so I had to get that out of the way because I know yeah. people are going to ask. Probably, uh, like you said, everybody asks you that, right? Everybody. <laughs> <laughs> you, like you said, you'll make it work if need be. Yeah, people have made it work. Like That's how people used to raise their families before yes. we had... You know, before we had Instagram and, and suburbs, that's what people did. They they had their family and they were pretty much nomadic and they brought them where they needed to bring them. So And there's no one right or wrong way to to raise a family or to be a parent or to not raise a family or to live. In this day and age with a nomadic lifestyle and with the internet, people aren't tied to one company anymore. And that one company is not going to take care of you from the cradle to the grave anymore. It just doesn't happen. No. You know, that's a huge, actually, like the first half of my book is basically about that, how the American dream doesn't apply anymore. Like we have grandparents who have that story, right? Where yeah. the grand, he worked in the paper mill for 30, 40 years. He got a great pension. They bought a house. It was only 16 grand. Yeah. And then when they retired, guess what? It was worth 350. And that's the American dream story. But that is, that is not reality for our generation. We don't have the $16,000 house. We don't have the 40-year career with the great pension. A lot of those things got wiped out. So reality for us is changed and so we have to adapt well at least hey thankfully you're you're canadian you have uh, health care yeah <laughs> yeah yes we do <laughs> yeah enjoy it let me tell yeah. you <laughs> enjoy it yeah 
Uh, okay, it's the uh, if is there a weakness for one kind of cuisine? Like if you're gonna be like, I could eat this every single day. Oh, it's like any Asian food. Yeah, like I can't even yeah. I can't even specify it because then I'm like, oh, but pad thai, but then oh, but sushi and like any kind of Japanese food. But even Vietnamese food, there's tons that we oh, ate and I, so I miss all the time. I'd say anything anything Asian. Like if it has coconut or peanut or tuna in it, like I'm gonna eat it. <laughs> was there one country you went to and you're like, uh, this food is makes me want to leave? Mm, no, I okay. I think I love. Every food, like even we were in the Middle East, it's just like, it's all so good. Um, no, I, I don't think there's ever been a place where I didn't. Oh, wait, you know what? I, I, not that I didn't like it, but nothing really stood out to me in, in the UK. Like nothing really showcased itself. Eat the Indian food in London. That's, that's, yeah. <laughs> what, that's what you get in England is that, that when I get off the plane there, just like curry time. Let's get yeah. it. Exactly. Like other other nationalities foods yeah, in the UK is great. great. But when you go for kind of that traditional UK food, I mean, it's great, but it just didn't blow me out of the water. When you said you went to the Middle East, which countries? And have you ever been into like a pretty strict religious country where, you know, the like, where's your husband? Or you have to cover your head and all that <laughs> other stuff? Yeah, like when we were in Qatar, it was, of course, I covered up because of decency. Right. Um, I didn't really see any other woman that was uncovered there. Everyone was covering their legs and their shoulders and arms. And I didn't cover my hair, but I was pretty wrapped up. But I felt extremely safe. Like the entire time in Qatar, I think it was one of the places I felt the most safe in the world. It is so clean. People are so friendly. It's amazing there. I'd love to go back and spend more time in Qatar. But I also have like really big hankering to get into Pakistan. I think that would be amazing. Um, or even Iran. Those countries are so full of history and they're just so full of undervalued beauty that I'd really love to. Um, but of course, they come with their own host of problems as well. Is there one time that you wanted to cut other than other than Vietnam, you wanted to cut your trip short and just go, you know what, I think we've seen enough of this country? No, I think it was just Vietnam. And and. <laughs> I let me tell you, like we wanted to cut short. There were tears <laughs> on both sides. We we were so we were just so overwhelmed and, and fed up with it. Um, we wanted to get out of there. Like I don't yeah. actually know if I'll ever return. Even if someone was like, "Hey, you won a free trip to Vietnam," I don't know if I could go back. <laughs> I I think I have, and I don't want to say this to uh, undermine anyone that legitimately has any sort of like PTSD, but I just, I kind of joke within my friend's circle and just say, you know, like I have like Vietnam PTSD. Um, That's how I feel about it. It's just, uh, yeah. Do you uh, kind of follow the warm weather these days or do you, are you willing to go up to let's live in uh, Norway in the winter or something? I love this question. And I hope that my husband listens to this interview because, (laughs) okay, he, he is he is a sun chaser. We have been chasing summer for the last five years, constantly. Every winter, he will be like, he'll talk me into going somewhere that is super hot, super humid. And while I do appreciate the heat, I would just love to go somewhere where I could wear like a nice trench coat <laughs> or yeah, like a yeah. scarf. A and we were in Can that once. once? Like, yeah, we were in Edinburgh for three weeks. That was the only oh, yeah, glimpse of winter I've had in the last five years. Um, other than that, it has been literally living as close to the equator as possible. And I'm just so sick of being wet. Like my whole body is yeah. soaked. 
right? Like my shirts are all wet. My pants are wet behind my neck. Underneath my hair is wet. I'm just so sick of being wet um, that I'd really love to just be in a more temperate climate. So I'm trying to get him into, I'm like, oh, maybe we could spend, you know, the winters here, like somewhere that still gets to say 15 degrees Celsius. So what's that? Like, uh, I don't even know what that is in Fahrenheit. I'm realizing I've been spoiled in California, but just by because lack of humidity. Like I grew up in Chicago where I, we had humidity in the summer. We had every extreme, basically. Even when I go to Florida now, I'm just like, ugh, humidity, boo. Yeah, I'm not I'm not a big fan of humidity right now. And Vietnam ruined that for me. Now I'm scared of it. So when we go down to Mexico, we picked uh, Mazatlan. It's on the Pacific coast, but no, it's... I've been it's, there a it's, couple it's, times. Oh, great. I'll be there in November if uh, if you're there. We are. We are planting ourselves there for six months. So, and just kind of traveling from there, but we will be there. And we picked it because it was one of the least humid places in Mexico. And the winters actually get really nice. Like you will get, um, again, I'm all in Celsius, but sometimes the daily lows in January and February can be around that 15 degrees uh, for the low, which is great. It is. And and up here in Kelowna, where we spend some of our time when we're home in the summer, Kelowna uh, is dubbed Kelowna-fornia. We're like the California of Canada is what we call ourselves. And it's not humid at all here. It's very dry. There's vineyards and everything all around, so it's perfect for growing cherries and and grapes and wine because it's it's really dry, really sunny. So I like I'm so wanting to just not be in the humidity anymore. So I need to talk him into where can we go next <laughs> that might not be you know super hot and super sunny, but that will still be amazing. So I have to find these perfect places and talk him into it. Well, a lot of your destinations are pretty. I, don't, I hate the term third world, but uh, you know they're more exotic. I mean, have you ever turned down a place that's just it's too mainstream. You're like, yeah, we could we could go live in Switzerland for for, for six yeah, months, but it's not as you know. There's sexy. two parts to that. It's it's you're right. Most of the places we we go to are say developing nations, and the reason for that is number one Money. because of budget. Yeah, <laughs> I'm not gonna I'm not gonna lie. Like, yes, I can make a living as a travel blogger, but I'm not I'm not making what I used to make yeah. in real estate. Um, not yet. But it's we have to be able to afford this and not all of our trips are sponsored. And if you're traveling most of the year, like you have to go places where you can actually live and not struggle. So that has been developing countries. But another big part of it is you're right. If someone said, okay, um, like let's go live in Paris or whatever, I, I don't really want to. I I don't really have sort of a a hunger to want to spend a lot of time there because it really has been there, done that kind of thing. I do like to find these underrated gems. Sure, I wouldn't mind breezing through Paris for a few days. It would be really fun. I just don't know if I'd want to just really hunker down and just, yeah, it, it, it doesn't really appeal to me. So give us uh, some of the places around the world that maybe people wouldn't expect or it's not on the beaten path, but uh, you really have been recommending to people that they should check out. <laughs> well, definitely Java. Like I Again, I can't get over that. I think that Everyone should should go to Java if they're going to make the trip to Bali. Like you're already there, just check that out. Um, I also really liked going into central Japan. So we went off the beaten trail there, and we went into the prefecture of um, Gifu, and it was incredible. It was so I just couldn't believe it. I was like, wow, people are just going there for Tokyo and Kyoto and Osaka, but they're not going to these other amazing places that really gave us that that kind of the Japanese culture that we were looking for, like that that really cool and unique experience. Um, Central Japan was amazing. And, oh, I don't know. 
I can't I can't even think of really other places. I, How did you do with your Japanese? No, awful. <laughs> yeah, yeah like terrible. Actually, my Japanese would probably be better than my Vietnamese. I found Vietnamese the hardest language mm-hmm. to date. Like the hardest language to try to understand or to try to pronounce. I found that was tough. I found this in Thailand as well that it's just where you put the accent or the emphasis on the same word, but they have the same word for like five different things. Yes, like and one one yeah. sound could mean like mother or it can also mean like serial killer. And yeah. <laughs> you have no idea which one you're saying. Okay, so uh, plug, this is where you get your plugs in. Where can people find the book and uh, everything else and, and get your social media and everything else? Yes. Yeah, so I am on Instagram. My handle is Cashly underscore K. And I don't spend a ton of time over there anymore, but I'm still on there. I still want to share the journey. I'm just, uh, yeah, kind of trying to not be on social media as much. Well, and what's interesting as a blogger not being on social media. Why are you doing that? <laughs> because I feel like social media, if you get wrapped up in it like I did, I find that it can really give the can give a wrong impression of a place. Like we've all seen those amazing videos where nobody's or pictures where nobody's in the background and it's been edited to perfection. And then I feel so sorry for the people who save up all their money and take their hard-earned vacation time, get to that destination and realize it's nothing like it looked like on Instagram. Like what a disappointment, right? So as a blogger, I want to be on the blog. I want to write things that are valuable and helpful to people. I don't just want to post pictures on Instagram saying, look at me. Look at how cool I edited this photo. Like, check me out. I I think that's the wrong approach. And for some people, it might be great. I don't want to diss what other people are doing. It's just I don't want it to be all about look at me and look what perfect travel life I'm living. I want it to be more real, just like a little bit less curated, if you will. But do advertisers look at that and go, that's hurting your reach by not emphasizing social media? Yeah. I mean, it would hurt my social media reach for sure. But here's the thing is that I, the majority of my income comes from the blog. And if I think that I'm going to try to make money on Instagram, the only way I can do that is by solely doing sponsored posts, right? right? And I don't want to become an advertisement for everything else why I'm trying to document my journey. I don't want to be selling, you know, flat tummy tea and (laughs) like all these different things. I don't think that it's relevant to my travels. And I just don't want my Instagram to be solely an advertisement. If there's something I truly believe in, yeah, I'll talk about it. And there are a few brands I'll work with, but I've actually stopped taking a lot of brand work because it wasn't feeling integral. I felt like I was pushing products that may or may not have made anybody's life any better. Um, So yeah, I I do. I guess it would be a short-term loss for a long-term gain. Yeah. So you got the book out there. And people can get it? Yes, they do. Uh, Amazon. Yep. Yeah, it's on Amazon, iTunes, and Google Play. Um, you can get the paperback at Amazon, and then everything else is an ebook. And that's called The High Maintenance Minimalist. And it's perfect for anyone who is thinking about maybe not selling their house and going full time travel like me. But if they're thinking about, hey, you know what? I could really, it could really be helpful for me to clear some of this crap out of my life. Um, and it gives you a lot of tools to create the freedom in order to travel more, create the budget to travel more. And, what did you mean by high maintenance, though? <laughs> okay, so a lot of people have this idea of minimalism. They think about that movie that they've seen, the documentary, and they think about like a guy sitting in a plain white room wearing a black t-shirt, and they right. think that's minimalism, right? Like, have nothing. <laughs> and 
for me, that's not my life. I have some things in my life, but the things that I have are high quality and they have purpose and they do bring me joy. And I want to show that you don't have, minimalism doesn't have to be that, that blank space. It can be whatever you want it to be. And for me, yeah, I'm still a little bit high maintenance in my life, but I'm also an extreme minimalist. So I, I like to show people that it doesn't, you don't have to pigeonhole yourself into just having nothing. Life doesn't need to look bland or empty or boring. It can look as colorful and as amazing as you want it to. It's just that you're not relying on on these things to bring you joy. You're not uh, being a mindless consumer and just buying, buying, buying to make yourself feel better or to fill up space. Uh, it's just about owning the things that are truly going to, uh, I don't know, that you're going to utilize in your life. Any plans for a new book? Yeah, I actually want to write a book on um, social media and mental wellness, because I think it's a huge issue that's plaguing a lot of people. It causes depression, they say. Yeah, and I I just think it causes, like I was saying before, an unrealistic expectation, not only of travel destinations, but also of each other. Sometimes you meet somebody you've only seen online, and you meet them, and you're like, wow, you are nothing like you are online. (laughs) It's basically a highlight reel of everybody's life rather than reality. Yeah, I want to dig into what happens when we all start to live in this virtual reality more than our real lives, because some of us do spend more time on social media collectively than we do in our own life. And that kind of reminds me of that movie Surrogates. Like what happens if we start to live as our avatars more than our own selves. And, and what, what does that look like? Well, what do you think, you know, to wrap things up in a nice bow here, what do you think all this experience and, and not only your travel, but starting this business and uh, minimalizing your life and everything else, what has it taught you about people, about the world, and about yourself? I mean, what have you learned from all this? Oh, such a great question. I think what I've learned about people is that everyone that we're all the same. I think that we're all the same. We're all just trying to do our best. And we're all just trying to provide for our families and just try to have experiences and connections with each other. I truly believe that, that we are all so similar, it's scary. And what I've learned is that, and this is something my parents taught me early on, but I keep learning more and more with every place I go, is that time is going to pass so fast, whether we like it or not. And you can spend that time wishing, dreaming, hoping, and never doing anything about it. Or you can spend that time... Um, you know, actually like using the days of your life to, to make amazing memories without having those regrets later on. So I truly try to live every day like that. I try to pile as many experiences as I can on myself, um, you know, not in an overwhelming way, but more so that I don't wake up when I'm 70 and go, I wish I did that because there will be no more time. We get one life and that's it. Right. So I think travel really, uh, it really wraps that up for me. It really uh, puts the puts it into perspective for me. And every time I travel, I see that more and more. Well, that's great. And you've also learned to not walk in Vietnamese floodwaters with an open <laughs> sore on your leg. That was going to be what I was going to say next. Yeah, that was top of the list. Yeah. Good. Well, thanks for doing this. I know we had some technical issues earlier, and you, thanks for sticking around, and and um, thanks for contacting me. It was uh, it was great to meet you, and and best of luck on the road, and maybe we'll see you in Mazatlan. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks so much, Mike, for having me on. Cashley Kutra and everybody. And you can go to her blog at TravelOffPath.com. Thanks, Cashley. Thank you. Watch the police and the tax man miss me. I'm